Welcome everybody to Martinis with Scott, a show about winning momentum in life and in business. We're on uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you'd like the contact, go and subscribe. Let's have a drink. I made it to the bar on time this week. Uh, I, I promised you I would make a, uh, a more concerted effort to get here Thursday for 4 p.m. Eastern. And, uh, you know, the show's not shot live, so this is actually the day before. Uh, which may be relevant because we're talking about some current uh, content this week. Uh, but in terms of releasing the show Thursday at 4, I hope you have a cocktail and that you will join me in a cheers. Damn, that's good. I'm drinking the uh, Ferdy Distillers Small Batch Vodka uh, made here in my little hometown of Ferdy, British Columbia. All right, those of you that watch the show... Those of you that know me know that I don't often talk uh, politics. I certainly try to keep it out of martinis with Scott. This is a business show. It's a it's a life show. Politics is part of that, but I try not to get dragged down into the into the easy debate on the left and right. You know, love Trump, hate Trump, all that stuff. But I made the mistake yesterday of being uh, dragged back in and restarting my Twitter account. Um, and that's where I'm going to keep my political uh, commentary uh, on Twitter. If you want to go follow me there, it's M Scott M S C O T T uh, underscore. So the you know the the dash that's kind of down below the underscore uh, Sinclair. So M Scott Sinclair M Scott underscore Sinclair is the username. And I don't know how long this is going to last. Sometimes over the years I've started up on Twitter and then I've quit and and. Uh, get bored with the whole affair, but, you know, I was listening to the Democrat convention in the U.S. recently, looking at the riots and the looting that's going on and the, the Black Lives Matter movement, and it's it just got me to a place where I, I just think that it's important for people who believe they have something to offer to speak up and to tell the truth at this point, because, you know, it seemed clear to me that the minorities uh, around the world, particularly in the U.S., the poor, the vulnerable, they're being actively marginalized or attacked, and their lives are getting less, uh, are, are getting worse. And this is happening in so many communities, um, and it's an act of the of the left. Uh, they call them in the media the extreme left. I don't know if it's the extreme left or most left. I know that there's a few old school liberals that. You know, I may disagree with some of their policies, but they seem to be decent people and, and they, they you know, look for the best for vulnerable communities. Uh, but that doesn't define the modern left, in my view. You know, in the past, uh, liberals and Democrats have treated, uh, it seems to me, have treated minorities and and uh, poor and vulnerable, and I'm not equating those three things, by the way, before someone attacks me for that. Uh, but they've treated they, they've treated these people um, as pawns, as pawns in their game to seek power and to and to drive whatever initiative they're trying to uh, they're trying to drive. The liberals, Democrats, have have been okay with poverty. They speak against it. They have good words, but in reality. After, you know, decades of rule in many states and cities in the U.S., they've done nothing effectively. You have the same amount or worse poverty uh, and violence today. So, you know, if you look at the substance of what people are, or what these Democrats are doing, none of their words, what you see is they're okay with poverty. They're okay with violence, and they've used this historically as an issue to gain the power and importantly, to virtue, virtue signal. And virtue signal is a way to say, you know, to say the right things, to say the politically correct things, to prove that I'm a better person than you, right? It's about this faux elitism. It's like, I'm better than you. I know what's going on. I'm woke. Um, I know the difference between right and wrong, and you don't. And so I'm going to say these, these things that are correct to prove that, to prove that I'm better and build up my self-esteem and, and, and do nothing for the vulnerable that I keep talking about, uh, that I want to help. It's hard to be an activist when the problem is fixed, right? That's the history of liberals and Democrats. They don't want to fix the problem because they need the issue, because you can't be an activist if there's no issue. 
And so that's the history. It sucked, but it's the it's the it's the tug of war between left and right. And but now what you see is you see that this has gone beyond ignoring these communities and using them as pawns. Now it's gone into actively, actively going into these communities and destroying them, right? Pulling the police out in minority communities that are highly violent. Whereas if you just took a poll of all the residents, you would find a really, really high uh, percentage of these residents who need and want and believe that the police in their in their neighborhoods are what's required for mothers and children and you know just kids to go out and play on the street, pulling the pulling the cops out, keeping the schools uh, the schools closed so these children can't be educated. Do you think it's my young daughter in homeschooling who's not going to get a good education? She's going to be fine. I can promise you that. I can afford it. I have the resources. Um, I don't have the other stresses of my life. If you're a single mother in Baltimore, uh, in, a, in a poor neighborhood, uh, do you think your child is going to get properly homeschooled uh, with internet connections and computers and the, the available time of a parent? Of course not. Of course not. So keeping the kids, the kids out of school is, is nothing but an attack on these communities. Choosing teachers union over children. Uh, closing the businesses, allowing the looting of the businesses in these neighborhoods, holding up aid uh, for political purposes. Who do you think pays the price of Mayor de Blasio in New York's disastrous reign? Do you think it's the rich that fled to the Hamptons? Do you think it's people like me that could could leave their, uh, where was my, my flat in uh, New York was 71st floor. If I could leave my 71st floor beautiful two-bedroom condo and head out to the Hamptons and just hang out there, do you think it's me that suffers from this? I can move anywhere I want in the world, or do you think it's the, or do you think it's the workers, the laborers, the hourly people um, in Queens and Bronx and and uh, surrounding neighborhoods and boroughs? Do you think it's them that suffers from these policies, um, and they lose the tax base? They lose the tax base of the rich who just fled because they want nothing to do with it. It's the vulnerable, it's the minorities, it's the poor, it's those communities that have to live with the violence and fear uh, that has been created by these policies. And that's on the left. And on the right, I know what you're all thinking. You're all thinking I'm some sort of uh, Trump-loving, right-wing lunatic. Not true. Talk about that in a second. On the right, what are they doing about this? And I think the answer for the most part is, is nothing. They complain, they mock. They point out hypocrisy, which has to be the mentally weakest thing that you can possibly do in political debate is like, oh, you're a hypocrite. Yeah, well, so are you. So is everybody. That's the nature of politics. What did that accomplish? The right, apart from Trump, apart from in the U.S., apart from a handful of others on, uh, on social media, the Internet, they are terrible, terrible at persuading and affecting positive change. And I think one of the reasons for that is by the very definition of being being on the right, you mostly just want to be left alone, right? You don't want to be told what to do. You don't want to have to organize. You don't want to have to be an activist. You don't want to have to do all of these things <clears throat> that the people on the left love to do. They define themselves to do that. Well, as a, as a conservative, that's not your nature. Your whole point of your of your being is to be left alone, to be a little bit libertarian, right? So it's not your nature to fight back so you can mock and point out the stupidity of the other side, but in the end, you're doing nothing. And my view is that doesn't cut it today. Like this has gone too far. There's too much damage being done to segments of our society. And if you care, if you care about these people and you care about these communities, I think everybody who has something to pitch in just needs to start pitching in. And so there's my frustrations with the left, who I think are the, the evil on this, and my frustrations with the right, who I think have been useless. And and there's plenty of on the right, by the way, that have also been evil on these points. And I would look to what they call the establishment in the U.S. Um, you know, they sort of the warmongering and the and uh, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with every other examples off the top of my head, but there's there's lots of Republican politicians who have not helped this situation or actively, actively doing the same damage that the left are doing. 
but there's those that ought to know better that I think have a caring heart and I want to help these communities who really do nothing uh, and nothing of substance. There's a very small community um, that are persuasive and, and are trying to get things done, in my opinion. So listen, me, <clears throat> this is not a political speech. Um, I promise I'm not going to talk about politics. I don't promise. I will try not to talk about politics on Martinis with Scott anymore. As I said, you can go to the Twitter handle and I'll, I'll vent there as long as I feel I'm being productive and I have the passion. Um, I am not conservative. I'm not liberal. I consider myself all over the map. I'm pretty independent. I believe in people. I believe in helping communities, as I've said. So, for example, if you look at social issues, I would consider myself pretty far left. Like, I just do whatever you want to do. Kind of leave me out of it, but do whatever you want to do. I've got no problems with it. Um, so I, I, I think that I would hit none of the marks of a conservative on social issues. I'm pretty sure no one uh, in my entire life has ever accused me of being fiscally conservative. Never. Never. I, I, I am not fiscally conservative in my own life, in government, in businesses. Uh, I, I ought to be more fiscally conservative in all of those things, but I'm just not. I'm just not, to be fair about it. What motivates me, what drives me is these communities that I've talked about, and I'm really passionate on the negative side. I'm against hate. I'm against faux elitism. I'm against intolerance. And I think those things, maybe a long time ago, maybe before some of your, some of you uh, paid attention to politics, maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know, I don't know what decades, but maybe some of that came from the right. But it's not today. Since I've been paying attention in the last decade or so, the intolerance, the hate, the totalitarian bent, this all comes from the left. And it started to come from the extreme left, and now it's coming from the mainstream uh, left, it's coming from the media uh, that supports the left, who is no longer independent, who does not tell the truth. And so what, you know, just full disclosure, what motivates me is I am against hate, I'm against intolerance, I'm against racism, and I see all of these things. Uh, I'm against faux elitism, this whole virtual signaling. I see all of this on the left. And I just think the mission there on the Twitter account is to speak up and maybe point out the tr truth. It's not to bang the drum of conservatism. That's not me, as I've already said. So, um, Martinis with Scott, uh, we're not going to talk politics. Uh, that's not my goal. This is about business. This is about life and uh, lessons learned. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Almost sneezed. But my Twitter follies yesterday, my, my fun on Twitter, did lead me to a story which inspired me to discuss, um, uh, inspired me to have a discussion about this on Martinis with Scott. And the story yesterday, continuing today as I'm shooting this, is Goodyear Tires. Okay, so for those of you not on social media, for those of you not paying attention, you all know who Goodyear Tires is. Uh, they're an American manufacturer of, uh, of rubber tires automotive, uh, heavy-duty truck, uh, motorcycles. I know for motorcycles and mountain bikes and, uh, so, uh, yeah, mountain bikes because they own the Dunlop brand. Um, Akron, Ohio, as I said, they've been a manufacturer in the U.S. since 1898. If you can believe that, they trade on NASDAQ under the symbol GT. It's down a little bit today. Uh, we'll talk about why. And last I looked, trading at 950. The relevance of the public trading is we can track this over time, which will make sense to you when we have this discussion, and we'll see how Goodyear Tires does. So yesterday, on Twitter, on social, well, not on Twitter, but somewhere, which was then picked up on Twitter, there was what appeared to be a PowerPoint slide leaked out of uh, Goodyear Tires, and it, I don't know if it was a management meeting or some sort of... Um, you know, social justice sensitivity type training, whatever it was, but it was basically a slide broken into two tables. On the left was acceptable. On the right was zero tolerance. And there was two points under acceptable. One was Black Lives Matter. And the second one was lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, pride, LGBT. Okay. Um, and so what does that mean? 
um, it didn't really say on the slide, but it seemed to be a consensus afterwards, certainly on Twitter, that it meant that you could, you know, you could wear paraphernalia that said Black Lives Matter, you could wear a hat said Black Lives Matter, you could wear paraphernalia or have discussions about supporting, uh, about pride of uh, LGBT uh, community. I don't know what happened with the Qs, but um, <coughs> that's what that meant. And then on the right-hand side, it was zero tolerance. Uh, zero tolerance Tolerance was Blue Lives Matter, all right? So Blue Lives Matter, if you know, you're not American, you're not paying attention, that is uh, support for the police, whereas the Black Lives Matter, you know, perhaps started as a anti-police, um, uh, minority protection in police encounters kind of uh, movement and has evolved into something much greater and perhaps not as, uh, you know, not as um, productive and sane as the original definition. Well, the Blue Lives Matter um, was an opposite reaction, standing up uh, for the police, uh, not demonizing cops um, and, and not defunding them and looking for a more productive relationship between police and the community. So Blue Lives Matter, zero tolerance. All lives matter, zero tolerance. Again, if you're not American, what does all lives matter? People try to say to the conservatives, hey, you got to say Black Lives Matter. And uh, by the way, Black Lives Matter, see, wasn't that hard? Um, <clears throat> so they say to the conservatives, Black Lives Matter. And of course, if you're a white person, what you automatically go through goes through your head is, hey, wait a minute, what happened to white lives? Do we not matter? And so the response is always, all lives matter, not always, but some people, is all lives matter. And then, uh, you know, the left activist or whoever throwing this in your face gets all up in arms and says, you don't care about black people because you said all lives matter. And so <clears throat> that's where that comes from. So blue lives matter, zero tolerance, all lives matter, zero tolerance, tolerance, MAGA attire, uh, MAGA being the Trump symbol, uh, symbol uh, sorry, not symbol, I guess it is a symbol, but slogan as well, Make America Great Again from the uh, 2016 campaign um, and any other political slogans and attire. So four things on the on the zero tolerance, uh, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, MAGA and political slogans. Uh, and on the acceptable Black Lives Matter, notwithstanding it's a political slogan uh, of the left, clearly, uh, and lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and pride. All right, so this slide comes out from Goodyear, and now <clears throat> we're not talking politics. I want you to think about this as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as a mid-market business, as an executive of a large business. Think about being in this position where you've held this meeting, maybe not you personally, but someone in your organization held this meeting. This slide came up, someone took a snap of it, and there it is out on Twitter, and there is a massive backlash. It's trending yesterday and today. Hashtag ban Goodyear. Let me read you some of the tweets, okay? If you're a business owner, this is not about politics. Uh, here is a tweet just picked out at random. Whoa, dot, dot, dot. If all lives don't matter at Goodyear, I just canceled my order. And all future tire orders and anything else Goodyear sells. Hashtag shameful. Hashtag all lives matter. Hashtag blue lives matter. Hashtag back the blue. Hashtag ban Goodyear. Okay. There's millions of these sorts of tweets. Uh, Trump came out, I believe it was this morning. He said, don't buy Goodyear tires. Goodyear tires all in caps. Dash. They announce a ban on MAGA hats. All on caps. In caps. Get better tires for far less, explanation point. I don't know if he has Trump tires or what the deal is there, but get better tires for far less. Uh, bracket, this is what the radical left Democrats do. Two can play that same game, and we have to start playing it now, explanation point and bracket. So you've just got, you've got a lot of tweets and a lot of uh, uh, trending on the ban Goodyear hashtag. Think about this as a business owner, <clears throat> and you've got, uh, the president of the United States coming out saying, buy cheaper, uh, buy, buy better tires for far less money. Don't buy Goodyear tires uh, because of their political leaning. And then that's on the right, of course, on the conservative side, on the those that support Trump. On the other side, you've got lots of tweets. I don't know if it's the same number. Let's call it the same number. Um, and here's one. My tires need replacing. I just looked up Goodyear in my town and I'm heading out to buy new ones. All right. 
So, so on the other side, on the anti-Trump side, you get on the Democrat side, you get a bunch of tweets um, and postings from people that really support uh, this sort of message because that's the message of their team. So your business owner, I'm willing to bet that 99% of you, maybe 100% of you are thinking, wow, Goodyear has really stepped in this. Uh, they've got this trending ban, Goodyear, um, uh, trending hashtag on Twitter. Um, they need to apologize. They need to change their racist policy, as some of the, the right-leaning tweets said. They need to beg for forgiveness, as some of the right-leaning uh, tweets said. But they need to deal with this issue. This is a crisis. Uh, we're in crisis management mode here. And as the owner of Goodyear, if you're the CEO of Goodyear, you need to deal with this issue, right? Again, let's remove ourselves from the politics of this. Let's remove ourselves from the emotion of this. And let me ask you a question. Do you really think this was a leak? Do you think this was some sort of meeting where some fellow or lady took a picture and was so offended that they threw it out on social media? Was it a mistake in that way? I don't know. Do you? Maybe. I've seen no one ask that question. I did on Twitter this morning. No one seems to, to know or care about it because it, you know, everybody's just looking for facts that you know, feed their confirmation buyer, Trump, Trump great, Trump bad, right? That seems to be what every issue divides into. But I ask you, do you really think this was a leak? So let's, let's, and you say, of course, of course, Scott, it had to be a leak. Like who would want this shitstorm coming down on their company? Do you remember Colin Kaepernick? Colin Kaepernick is the football player uh, for those of you that don't know, outside of the U.S., everybody in the U.S. knows this. Anybody who pays attention to U.S. Uh, politics and you know social media rants knows this. But Colin Kaepernick was the fellow who started the kneeling during the U.S. Uh, during the American national anthem. He was the guy who decided he was a social social justice warrior uh, first, and a football player second. On on your dime, while you're watching the football game or trying to watch a football game, you're presented with this fellow. Uh, making his protests. I'm not saying he's right or he's wrong. Um, and by the way, I don't even know what his issue is. He kept changing his issue over time, near as I could tell. I don't know. I don't care. I just know that I don't like paying for people to preach to me their concerns. And I think he has every right to do whatever the hell he wants. And I have every right to not pay attention to it uh, because because I don't want to pay him. I don't want to pay him to try to, 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 to protest to me. Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in my brain. But regardless, he's the guy that created this. It was a big uproar in the U.S. probably two summers ago. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe one summer ago. Um, and then Nike came along. The shoe company, one of the biggest brands in the world, came along. And they brought in Carlin Kaepernick. After he was out of football, they brought him in as a spokesperson. Do you remember the advertisement? Do you remember the Believe in Something ad? Uh, from Nike and Colin Kaepernick. It won an award for an outstanding commercial in the creative arts. It won an Emmy. Okay. And what did they pay? What did Nike pay Colin Kaepernick to express his social social justice views in an ad for the Nike brand on TV, on the internet? Who knows how true it is? $39 million is the number I found. This guy made $39 million outside of football uh, to do ads or a series of ads with the Nike brand. He had no skills other than creating the illusion of taking a position. I say an illusion, like that. maybe he has a great position. I don't know. I say an illusion because every time he was interviewed, it seemed to be a different topic. So it was sort of just a broad uh, protest, near as I could tell. But, uh, you know, he took a position, whatever that might have been. He's great at getting attention. He's great at this, this, you know, virtual signaling. This is, you know, I've got a point and you suck sort of stuff. And give him credit, love him or hate him. He's a good persuader, right? He gets attention. He gets his point across. Think about it. Some brand paid him $39 million to do precisely that, right? So this was an example of a brand running purposefully a campaign that I recall hearing a year later was greatly successful in terms of, uh, in terms of revenue uh, growth and um, brand favorability growth. Um, and so they took a social justice 
position and it paid off for them and they did it on purpose and it cost them tens and tens of billions of dollars uh, to do it. The 39 is just a call and who knows what the, you know, the media costs, all that sort of stuff. Do you remember the Gillette ad, the Razors ad, Gillette ad focused on masculine uh, or toxic masculinity, toxic masculinity. I still don't buy Gillette Razors to this day. Here's a brand, very famous brand, geared, not that they don't have female products, I, I'm sure they do, but it's geared largely towards males. And they attack masculinity as being toxic, right? And they're looking for men to change. They go to their very market and tell them they suck and that they need to change, that they're, they're toxic. They literally use that word, uh, they're toxic. And brand spending probably, again, tens of millions of dollars to get that message across. This is corporate virtual signaling this is saying hey we stand for something we're good our competitors not so good they don't stand for stuff but we stand for for good things and uh and they've spent millions and millions and tens of millions of dollars to do this why because it works it works and there's evidence there that it works and why does it work because your competition is fearful of defining their brand in that same way because of the shitstorm. look at what goodyear is going through in the last couple of days on Twitter and social media, it creates this hashtag trending banning kind of kind of mess. And if you're Pirelli or some sort of competitor, why would you want to go through that? It's because it works because when you target your target market for these sorts of ads for the Camperdon ad, uh, the Nike ad for the Gillette ad, half the country half the country agrees with you. And they agree with you strongly. And I might suggest, I have no demos on this, but I might suggest that that half of the country is actually growing. And the ones that are against you are not growing. Okay, they're shrinking. And also, the ones that are against you, the half that doesn't believe in your message, that is grossly offended by your, your message, well, those are the conservatives. And they suck at banning people. They suck at fighting back. Why? because they're busy, they have things to do, they just don't care. Like how many right-leaning conservative men remember the Gillette thing, right? They don't, they just don't care. I do, now I'm not necessarily right-leaning, I'm pretty independent, as I said, and, uh, but you know, here's the truth of the matter is I, I, I probably buy Gillette stuff that I don't even remember. I don't even notice because I'm not good at it either. Nobody's good at this banning stuff unless you're super passionate. And the only super passionate people are on the left and they're passionate because they're driven by hate. They're not driven by uh, anything positive. And so you can, you can take a position on the left as a company. You get half of the country strongly, hello there. I'll talk to you later. I'm shooting a show, okay? Sorry about that. My, my daughter just came home from camp uh, a little bit early. Um, all right, where was I? So you, you get half of the country passionately supporting you and you get the other half who's passionately against you, but, but not for long, right? For a month? I don't know. How long do these grudges last? Not very long. And they're not really going to do much about it. And the numbers prove this out. You look at, you look at Gillette and Nike uh, and their numbers from those ads and they've been they've been tremendously successful successful will that strategy always be successful no i think the right have been pushed so far um and you look at the uh, the violence and the looting and the uh you know the the deaths and the and the and the uh, destruction of the cities in america and i think that the, the right are just going to start standing up more and more and i think this becomes more of a dangerous uh, tact um but does it work right now? Yeah, you bet. And it worked really well a year ago, worked really well two years ago. And so let's go back to Goodyear. I asked my question again. Do you think it was a, this was a leak? Do you think it was a mistake? Or do you think it might have been brilliant? Do you think that they got the exact same thing that Nike and Gillette got for free by taking a slide, real or not, and getting it out um, into the into the uh, interweb, into the social media, um, into these platforms. Um, maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it was a leak. But if it was, it was a damn lucky one. 
First rule of persuasion, persuasion meaning selling and brand building is someone has to pay attention to you. If they're not paying attention to you, you can't sell them. If they're not paying attention to you, they don't know the merits of your brand. Goodyear, Goodyear has been hugely successful, getting a lot of attention and way more attention than their competitors who nobody even knows today. They got the attention, huge success. They got half the country who loves them right now, thinks that they're brave, thinks that they're virtuous, and who I guarantee you is running out to buy Goodyear tires as a result of this. And did they spend tens of million dollars getting this done? No, they did all of that for free. So what does all that mean for your business? You're an entrepreneur, you know, you're running a family business, you're running a larger organization as a, you know, a non-owner executive. Do you believe in social? It doesn't matter if you believe in the social judgment causes, uh, judgment in the uh, social justice causes. It doesn't matter if you believe in them or not. Um, it doesn't matter what you believe. Um, how should you, you know, I think there's all going to be time for all of us when our employees come up and they want to wear a Black Lives Matter t-shirt or they want to wear a MAGA hat to work. What are you going to do? I suggest you need to think about this. You need to have an answer. I suggest I need to think about this. I need to have an answer because I haven't done so either, but I promise you this issue is going to come before you and you need to know what the right answer is. I think you need to make your decisions based on your values, but you also need to, this is what nobody thinks I'm going to say. This is the opposite of where we're going, or, you know, what people think about me, but you need to not be afraid to do what Goodyear has done if in fact they did this on purpose, to do what Nike did, to do what Gillette did. You need to not be afraid to define your brand with, with virtual signal, corporate virtual virtue signaling. Um, and uh, even if you think that it's a, a BS thing to be doing or it's a racist thing to be doing, um, to be on, you know, to aligning yourself with the left, you need to be not afraid to define your brand in some way that aligns with your value. By the way, this is not just on the left, right? This happens on the right as well. Look at the My Pillow guy. Um, I forget his name, but he's done effectively the same thing on the right, which is why he was on CNN being beat up by Andrew Anderson Cooper the other day. So be in line with your values, okay? Don't be afraid. Define your, your brand. Don't be afraid to define your brand in line with social justice or conservative values or whatever other values you want to define it with because it probably works and you can't build a brand without attention. And my God, did Goodyear get attention this week? So that's a bit different take on this. Don't think everybody's anybody's talked about it that way. Let's talk about negotiation. And this is another uh, news-inspired story. About a week ago, the U.S. Uh, slapped or threatened to slap and then did slap 10% tariffs on Canadian aluminum. Okay, so if you're from outside of North America, which a lot of our audience is, we used to have in Canada, U.S. and Mexico what they called the free trade, North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA. And when Trump was elected in 2016, one of his platforms was that that agreement's really old, I think 20, 25 years old. You know, it needs to be updated. We suffer on all of our trade deals. It's the worst deal ever, which was mostly uh, a comment geared towards Mexico, where a lot of the automotive sector moved, you know, but applied to Canadians as well, who um, was enjoying the benefit of the NAFTA deal, and that he wanted to renegotiate everything. That was done. Um, they signed off, I think, a couple of years ago, maybe halfway through his term, on the new agreement between uh, Canada, Mexico, and the U.S., and Trump was happy with the results, and everybody, everybody was happy with the results that was ratified by Congress sort of a year later, and it's a deal. It's a deal that's taken uh, into effect. Now, in the context of that deal, Trump comes along and he says, well, we're going to slap 10% tariff on, uh, on aluminum imports from Canada to the U.S. And so I was watching, I think, on Bloomberg, uh, ahead of the and so some sort of Canadian association, the aluminum, aluminum industry association fellow, whoever that would be, and and what he was saying was is just you know as Canadians we need to fix once and for all our systemic issues 
in our trading relationships just once and for all. We need to fix these so we don't have this uncertainty. And, and he really hopes that the Canadian government, that the Trudeau government gets that done. So that's, you know, uh, fair enough. Everyone could probably hope that it's delusional, but they could probably hope that, you know, once and for all, we fix these things. And then we had Ambassador uh, Hillman, the Canadian ambassador to the United States. Uh, I don't recall her first name, but let's call her Ambassador Hillman. Um, and she was also on Bloomberg. And when asked why the U.S. Uh, put these tariffs, uh, she said, uh, no, you know, Canadians have no idea why these tariffs were put on the aluminum. And what is her strategy to negotiate this? And her strategy is she's going to get the actual facts out. Okay, she doesn't know what the problem is, but she's going to get the facts out. She's going to get the facts out to all the Americans, all the Democrats, all the state people, everybody, everybody who's relevant. They're going to see the facts, and in the end, the facts will prevail. Okay, that's her strategy. It's going to take some time, she said. Ambassador Hillman said this is going to take time, but at the end, the facts will prevail. That's what we believe in to get the facts out and they will prevail. I would suggest that Ambassador Hillman is in the wrong negotiation, okay? If you don't understand the battlefield, you're not gonna win, all right? You don't have to battle on the same field that's been presented to you, right? Somebody says to you, we're gonna negotiate over this. Well, you don't have to negotiate over that. You could you could change it up, shake the boxes, we like to say in persuasion. You could, you could change it up and you know, fight over here, and then the other person would be disoriented and confused by that. That's a great strategy. But if you don't know where they're negotiating and what they're doing, you don't stand a hope in hell, right? This is not about getting the facts out. This is about getting more out of Canada. This is about the U.S. getting more out of Canada, regardless of the agreement, regardless of the facts. It has nothing to do with facts. It's a non-stop negotiation. And until Ambassador Hillman until Trudeau and Christina, Christina Friedland, I think it's Christina. I don't think it's just Christine. I mean, no disrespect to her. Um, but I, until we start understanding that as Canadians, we're just going to lose. We're just going to lose. Okay. It's not about facts. It's about winning more. I've talked in prior shows about uh, systems versus goals and goals versus systems. Okay. And, and I've said to you that a goal, a goal is needed. Uh, human beings uh, and that includes us personally, includes our businesses. We need an aim. We need a general direction. And if we don't have that, we don't have any sense of accomplishment. Every step we take towards that fuzzy destination uh, uh, gives us a, you know, a dose of happy chemicals and gives us a sense of accomplishment. And if we don't have that, we can't get up in the morning, right? We, it, so if we're aimless, we got, we got depression issues. We have listlessness issues. Nobody cares. It happens in your life. You see it in troubled companies all the time. So the goals are really important. But having a goal has nothing to do with achieving a goal. You achieve a goal through a system. So I was thinking about this the other day because there's a current issue right now. And I have a goal. And my goal, one of my goals is to have awesome socks. Okay, so... Well, we're not in COVID and I'm traveling, I'm wearing suits. Man should have a decent pair of socks all the time. I don't need many, you know, five, seven, ten pairs of socks that are black, blue, or gray that go with the suits, go with the shoes. They're not frayed. They match. They don't have holes in them. Um, all that sort of stuff, right? That's a goal, okay? What I don't have is a system because what I do is... Every 10 years or 20 years, I go out and I buy a bunch of socks and I have new socks to put on my feet. And I go, oh my God, this is amazing. I should always have new socks. Why have I been wearing these old socks that are frayed and worn and have holes in them? That's just ridiculous. I mean, it costs me nothing. Socks aren't very expensive. And, and so I should create a system where, you know, maybe once a month I go off to the store, go off to Brooks Brothers or Harry Rosen, Harry Rosen or somewhere expensive and get some new socks it's a cheap investment in feeling good and looking good. But that's not what I do. That's not what I do. Because a week later, what happens is I think to myself, socks. And I think, yeah, I got those. I don't need to do anything else. I'm good. Someone asked me two years from now, do I have socks? Yep, I got socks. Right? I don't have a system. I have a goal. And when I'm done, I check it off. 
I check it off. You know, there was a, a guy, um, I don't remember his name, I have his book here somewhere, but uh, the, the GS Goldman Sachs elevator person, GS elevator on Twitter, or you can Google him and uh, super funny banking community person, a guy from New York. And I think he did the most brilliant thing. And this is completely a Wall Street thing. So many of you won't appreciate this, but, but if you're a Wall Streeter or a Bay Streeter, you'll appreciate it is he created a subscription service for socks. I think it was once a month, delivery shows up at your door with a bunch of new socks. And are they the fancy colored pattern? Nope, they were all the, I think he had two colors or three choices, zero patterns. You just get them, you get them every month. They mix and match, you lose one over here, you got 20 over there, it's no big deal. And I just thought, wow, that is brilliant. That is exactly the system I need for my sock issue. Spent a lot, a lot of time talking about socks. I recognize that, but I think it's a good example of having a goal um, and the Canadian goal in a trade agreement was to have a new trade agreement, not lose too much. And now we're done. We're done. We never need to think about this trade agreement again. Whereas Trump's goal is to have better trade deals. Was it to have NAFTA turned into the new trade agreement? No, that was not it. This, the, the goal is to always have trade arrangements more favorable to the U.S., and what's the system for doing that? The system for doing that is to use a fake because. And we're going to talk about that in a second here. And this is where we're heading on this negotiation. So Trump's goal is to get more, 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 more. Canada's goal was to sign a new deal, which they did. Uh, uh, Minister uh, Friedland, uh, Christina, I think is her name. Again, I'm not sure if it's Christina or Christina. But uh, celebrated winning. We won that negotiation. Why? because we lost less than we think that we thought we were going to lose. We thought we were going to lose a bunch and we only lose, you know, we only lost uh, not quite that much, uh, still a bunch, but not as much as we thought we were going to uh, lose. So now she signed the agreement. Canadian government figures this whole issue is over, which it never is. And that's the important part that you need to understand in, in, in negotiations, in life and in business, is it's never order over, you always have to continuously improve. So what's Trump's system? He wants more, more, more. He wants better deals for the US all the time. He uses a, a fake because. And so, you know, what is a fake because? A fake because is a, a trick in persuasion, if I can put it that way, a tactic in persuasion, where the human brain needs a reason to do something. Right, to persuade somebody to do anything, they need to have a reason. But the brain is unable to distinguish or even care whether that reason is real. Doesn't care. It just needs a reason. It's like, oh, this, therefore that, right? I, I could do this, I have to do this because of that thing, right? And so he creates uh, fake because that's a strategy. And Trump literally told us that he uses, he literally told Canadians that he uses fake becauses, that he makes up issues. He literally said that in the negotiations when it was early days in negotiating the, the new trade agreement. He was talking to reporters in the U.S. and he was talking about a meeting with Trudeau and he, you know, he slammed his fist down and he said, um, you know, we have, a, we have a deficit, a trade deficit uh, with Canada. Canada's got a trade surplus. U.S. is a trade a deficit. And, and if you actually look at the numbers, that may or may not be true, depending on the day, and it really just depends on, 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 uh, on commodity values, on oil, energy values in particular. If, if oil's up, uh, Canada probably has a surplus, and if oil's down, Canada probably has a deficit, right? Um, so it depends, but a reporter asked him, oh, is that true? Do we have a deficit? Uh, with Canada, a trade deficit with Canada, to which Trump literally said, I have no idea. I didn't look at the numbers. I just went for it. Um, I just said, we have this uh, deficit. And you think, well, that's outrageous. Like, that's just lying. It's outrageous. Well, what it is, is a fake because. Because whether it's outrageous or not is not the point. The point is, the Canadians, we now need to deal with that made-up objection. We have to deal with it. Okay, and uh, here's another example. He slapped early on in the discussion with Canada, he slapped on tariffs on steel. And he did it uh, because he defined steel as being a strategic commodity 
uh, in the U.S., right? So it has military purposes. We're not able to build our own whatever. And so the Canadian steel industry was, was ousted from that, uh, was isolated from the U.S. steel industry. Is that a real reason? Is steel strategic? And if it is strategic, were the U.S. incapable of, of making it themselves? Like, probably not. It's just a made-up issue. It was a made-up issue that, um, that Canada was then forced into a position to have to deal with this, this fake because, uh, with this reason, okay? So you create a reason, true or not, here's the system. You create a reason, you create a trigger point, whether it's true, whether it's not true, it doesn't matter. And it creates a need to, for the counterparty to tweak the deal in Trump's favor because he didn't get everything he wanted day one when he signed the agreement. You never get everything you want day one you sign the agreement. And even if you did, what you want changes over time. This is not a pair of socks that you get once. You have to have a system. You have to keep improving. You got to keep getting new ones. And he creates these, he creates these reasons to want to improve the deal uh, in America's favor. All right. So aluminum tariffs. Uh, so you create this fake because, and so now we have aluminum tariffs slapped on Canada. And if you ask the ambassador Hillman, she literally tells you she has no idea why, right? Could it be the Chinese or we're being accused of having the Chinese dumped through Canada into the U S potentially, right? Is it a strategic importance issue? No one's really knows. No one really cares. It doesn't really matter. What are we going to do in the end? We're going to give more. That's what we're going to do. It may not happen this time. Probably will happen this time, but it may not happen this time. It'll probably happen next time, but we're going to, we're going to slap some duties on them in response. We're going to slap equal um, dollar value of duties on stuff that we think might be important, right? And then there'll be a small escalation or we'll just sit and we'll ride it out. At the end of the day, Canada's going to fold and they're going to give up a little more. Um, and, and that's the way it's going to work. Same with China, right? Same with the U.S. discussion with China. I mean, China's become more of a rogue player lately, but... I, I get frustrated slash laugh at uh, my corporate executives, uh, clients that I'm working with. And you, you look at these, you know, so in Canada, of course, you've outsourced your supply chain to China. You're bringing in goods, then you're selling to the U.S. And now there's duties because your raw materials or your fabrication or whatever is coming from uh, China. So in many instances, and then... And then the executives will say things like, well, I think those tariffs are going to go away and then things will normalize. That will never happen. That will never happen. This is an ongoing negotiation for the rest of your business career, unless somebody different than Trump gets into office like Democrats, and then they just give the Chinese whatever they want. But barring that, if, if you can't outlast Trump, this will never finish ever because there's a lot to do and there's a lot of room for America to be in a better position vis-a-vis -vis China on the fairness level. These things are not going to change. And as a business person, you just can't deal with the uncertainty um, of, 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 the, uh, of the negotiations. Okay, so as long as you keep giving, as long as Canada keeps giving, or as long as if you're a counterparty to negotiation where you have these fake becauses, as long as you keep giving... Okay, it will never stop ever. The only way to stop it is to have your own fake because to have your own sense of urgency, to have your own manufactured crisis and to win on time. And you have to be able to say time is on my side. You have to put yourself into a position where time is on your side and you can wait out. You can wait out the, uh, the problem. Then you have a chance in that negotiation. You know, you don't need to love Trump. You can hate Trump. I'm okay with that. But if you're in business, if you care about business, if you're running a business and you're not learning from this guy's persuasion and deal-making skills, uh, you're a fool. You're a fool. You need to pay attention to this fellow and what he does. It is the best, uh, completely free and entertaining education uh, for business and negotiation on earth right now. So pay attention to that. Here's what he does in negotiation all the time. Doesn't matter if it's trade deals, doesn't matter if it's peace deals, doesn't matter if it's business deals, and everything he does, he makes up a fake because, he makes up a reason, it becomes a crisis, 
becomes an issue. And then his concession in the negotiation is the exact thing that he made up that never existed to begin with. And you end up giving him more uh, because you've bought into it as well. Because your mind is also looking for that fake. Because why would I give this guy more? Why would I give the Americans more in a trade deal? Why would I give the Americans more in a peace deal? Oh, oh, that reason. That reason. And then all sorts of people around you can say, that reason doesn't even true. You just made that up. And you go, yeah, it's still a reason. I need to deal with that. And you give more. That's a fake because that's a negotiation. Okay. Um, fighting this thing, uh, Minister, not Minister, Ambassador Hillman, fighting this thing with facts is missing the mark unbelievably. Unbelievable. Canada's going to lose on this. Okay, how do you apply this to your business? Why are we talking about this? Your stakeholder relationships, your supply chain, those are your suppliers, uh, your customers, your employees. Uh, these relationships are not static. They're not like my socks. You don't get them once and then never look at them again. You need to review these every year and you need to make a plan about how they work better for your business. It's one of the most important things you can do. Okay, and your financing. Okay, those uh, and creditor terms in terms of uh, in terms of supplier credit. Okay, look at those four things. Look at your supply chain pricing, uh, quality, minimum order quantities, that sort of stuff. Look at your customers. Uh, look at your employees. Look at your capital structure. Look at all of those things. Evaluate them on a periodic basis, and look for continuous improvement. Okay, with your customers. With your suppliers, go for RFPs once a year, right? You need to be stable, but you look for alternative suppliers and you go out for RFPs and you create a because, a fake because uh, uh, for your current suppliers to come to the table with a better offer for you. You need to create that process. With your customers, evaluate your contribution margin, evaluate your pricing on a regular basis. Do you make enough on this? Do they pay you on time? Uh, do you have the other um, soft things that you're looking for in a customer relationship? But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to fire some customers. I once ran a printing, owned a printer, uh, printing packaging company, and we ended up firing, you know, the, we did an analysis and fired sort of the bottom 10% in terms of uh, revenue of our, of our customer base. And we were doing, well, we were doing 10% less revenue, but we also had less changeovers in the manufacturing process uh, our contributions margin went up and our EBITDA went up our profit went up about two million dollars by firing customers and doing less revenue so it made a huge difference your employees you need regular performance reviews you need to make sure they're doing what you think you ought they ought to be doing this is not a static situation it needs to be an ongoing system to continuously improve which is a euphemism for getting more for you and for your organization. If you don't do that, you're not gonna survive. Uh, where are we? 53 minutes in, we're gonna skip Navani uh, this week. I'll give you a better update hopefully next week. That's all I have for you tonight. Enjoy your cocktail, cheers. This has been a Martinis with Scott, again on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Please hit subscribe, take care, have a great week, the rest of your week.